Hello, I'm Jerry Bergram from the Southwest Church of Christ in Tigard, Oregon, and this is Lesson 11 of the adult podcast from the D6 curriculum. The title of this lesson is Going Back to Move Forward, and it's based on Genesis 35. As we start, I'd just like to ask you if there's been a time in your life that you visited a place where you had been long ago. You may remember the exact place you stood or the bench or the rock you sat on and and while there, you may reminisce on all that has happened on your life since you were last there. Hold on to that thought because it relates to our text for today in Genesis chapter 35. As an introduction or reminder to who we are studying about in this series, there's Jacob and Esau, who are brothers. They are sons of Isaac, grandsons of Abraham. Rebekah is their mother. This is in the Bible time of the patriarchs where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived and when God is building the nation through which the Messiah would come and bless all the peoples of the earth that was his promise. God is two generations into his plan to bless Abraham and his offspring and we read about what's going on with his people. So the theme of our lesson today is God confirms his promises and we'll see that that's even though God's people are not perfect he uses them to carry out his plan. So I want to step back and look at the big picture of what's happened in Genesis up to this point. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It deals with a large period of time from the creation, entry of sin in the fall of man, and the lineage of Abraham, Noah, the flood, the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their families. Families. And Genesis establishes the fact that God wants a relationship with people. He didn't just kick off the whole creation and then leave. He remained involved then as he does today. God promises Abraham to bless all the peoples of the earth through his offspring. This is a covenant relationship and is a theme that ties to the whole book of Genesis together. In fact, it's really the main point of the entire Bible that God wants a relationship with his people. Abraham's son was Isaac and his grandson was Jacob and inherited God's promises in their own times. And none of them are perfect. For the most part, they follow God, but they're sinful like all of us. In the podcast last week, we discussed Genesis 27, where Jacob deceived his father and took the blessings that belonged to the firstborn, Esau. Then Esau vowed to kill Jacob, so Jacob headed out of town and went to his mother's brother, Laban, and family. On his way to Haran, where his uncle Laban lives, he stops for the night and God comes to him in a dream, confirming the blessings that had been passed on from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. This happens in Genesis 28, where you read, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust on the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west, the east, the north, and the south. And all families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. So Jacob called that place Bethel. And then he continued on his journey and arrives in Haran and meets his uncle Laban and his daughter Rachel and agrees to work for seven years to get Rachel and then marries her. But Laban does a switch and gives him the sister Leah on the wedding night. Then Jacob works for Laban another seven years, had four children with Leah and more with Rachel's servant and Leah's servant. There's plenty of drama here. So I invite you to read Genesis 29 through 31, and you'll be shaking your head, wondering how this family can treat each other like this. But after about 20 years, Jacob returns to Canaan with his large family and flocks and servants, and along the way, he wrestles with God in Genesis 32. Then in Genesis 33, he meets his brother Esau, 
And you remember the last time they saw each other, Esau had vowed to kill Isaac. And though Jacob was afraid that he would be attacked by Esau, they have a happy reunion with no fighting, and both of them seemed happy to see one another. And so finally, Jacob reaches Shechem in Canaan, where he settles. And while living there, one of the locals violated Jacob's daughter, Dinah, then asked to marry her. So Jacob's sons devised a plan for all the local men to be circumcised and then allow Dinah to be married. After the circumcisions, but while the men were still in pain, Simeon and Levi attacked the city, killing every male to avenge the wrong done to their sister. And then they carried off the plunder flocks and herds along with the women and children of Shechem. It's interesting that Shechem is the location where in Joshua 24, uh, Joshua will gather the 12 tribes of Israel and give them the charge to follow God and says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Uh, as a sidetrack, I'm just always interested in the geography of the Bible and how some of these places like Bethel and Shechem show up multiple times over the ages. And so this brings us to Genesis 35, which is about 1700 BC. And I'll read the entire chapter there. Then God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel, and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, Get rid of your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings, and he buried them under the great tree near Shechem. As they set out, a terror from God spread out over the people in all the towns of the area, so that no one attacked Jacob's family. Eventually, Jacob and his household arrived at Luz, also called Bethel in Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because God had appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse, Deborah, died, and she was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel. Ever since, the tree has been called Alan Bakuth, which means Oak of the Weeping. Now that Jacob had returned from Pandanaram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation and even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. And I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. Then he poured wine over it as offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. And Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because God had spoken to him there. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on towards Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid. You have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried along the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. Then Jacob traveled on and camped beyond Megal Idar, where he was, while he was living there, Reuben had intercourse with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Jacob soon heard about it. These are the names of the twelve sons of Jacob. 
The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilphah, Leah's servant, were Gad and Asher. These are the names of the son who were born to Jacob in Pandanaram. So Jacob returned to his father Isaac in Mamre, which is near Kirath Arba, now called Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had lived as had both lived as foreigners. Isaac lived for 180 years. <clears throat> he then breathed, breathed his last and died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. When I read Bible passages, I like to look at the big picture, but I also like to look verse by verse to see what nuggets are there apart from the big picture. So I'd like to dig into some of the verses we just read and discuss a bit further. In verse 2, Jacob tells them to get rid of their idols, but why did they have idols? <clears throat> it was pretty common in that day. I'm not sure if Jacob's household, but the women and children they adopted from the raid on Shechem, maybe they had them. But from Exodus 20, we, hear, we read, You shall not make for yourself an idol of any kind, or an image of anything in heavens above, or in earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. So it's in honor of God's commands that he does that. Um, he doesn't want to offend God. Verse 3, Jacob comments that he answered my prayers and has been with me wherever I have gone. So Jacob fully acknowledges God has been his constant companion. Verse 5 says that a terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of the area. I was wondering, were they in danger of being attacked? I think yes, because of what Simeon and Levi did, killing the men of Shechem. Chapters uh, Genesis 34, verse 30, following the event where Simeon and Levi were killed, in the men of Shechem, Jacob said to Levi and Simeon, You have ruined me. You have made me a stink among all the people of this land, among the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. So this wasn't just Jacob being dramatic. They were in real danger because these peoples, I'm sure, heard about what happened to the men of Shechem. And they could have bonded together in, um, in, to fight against Jacob and his clan. In verse 8, the nurse died. Um, she'd probably been Rebecca's nurse since she left her father's household, and uh, she's mentioned in Genesis 24, so this is likely someone that Jacob knew for a lifetime. Verse 10 talks about the changing of the name from Jacob to Israel. And this wasn't the first time Jacob heard this. When he wrestled with God, um, the angel that he was with told him that his name would be Israel because he said, you have struggled with God and men and have overcome. That's in Genesis 32:28. But why was this done? And can you think of this other places in the Bible? Abraham, or Abram, his name was changed to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Saul to Paul. So it is something we've heard of in other places. I read one explanation that suggests the name changes to accompany a change in person as they commit their lives to God. In the case of Jacob, the name means heal, or his name meant heal or deceiver. That was given to him since he was grasping Esau's heel when the twins were born. So he was renamed to Israel as one who struggles with God, maybe a name more fitting of his long-term relationship with God. In verse 11, it says, I am God, 
So this is God's proclamation of who he is and a reminder to Israel of his destiny as the chosen, a reminder to Israel of his destiny as the chosen son of Isaac to carry on God's blessing. This makes me think of how each of us can have an impact on our offspring because of our recognition of who God is and obeying him. And not that we have a Messiah coming from our lineage as Jacob did, but God promises in Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, this is in the Ten Commandments, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. To me, this is one of the most profound truths in the Bible, telling me of the legacy I can leave if I follow God. But it also makes me think of those who came before me. Maybe I'm part of the thousand generations. There was a, a time in my life um, when we moved to Oregon, um, and I got, I got connected with my great uncle Everett. Uh, had not spent uh, a whole lot of time with Everett previous to this, so um, and Everett was getting very close to 100 years old at this time. One time visiting him, we uh, had a meal at his home, and Everett prayed over the meal, and it just made me think, wow, he's he's really got a lot of faith. And this made me think of the lineage of faith within my family, within my mom's family, and it was also in my dad's family as well. But I, I feel like I am the beneficiary of someone's faith, a thousand generations, this promise that God has given. Um, but it can continue through me as, as long as I'm faithful. In verse 14, uh, we read that Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God spoke to him. And we read in verse 1 that that's why God sent him to ask and ask him to do. So Jacob built an altar. I'm sure if you've read the Old Testament once much, you've heard about altar building. Noah built an altar when he walked onto dry land following the flood. Abraham built an altar when he arrived into the land which God sent him. Moses raised an altar to celebrate a military victory. And the Israelites built an altar after crossing the Jordan River. And there's more. But why did they always do that? I think at times it was God who asked them to do it, but also the Israelites were motivated by their reverence for God, recognizing his intervention in their lives. They built altars to offer sacrifices and worship him and to express their dependence and thanksgiving. And they also served as a memory of God's intervention to future generations. In Joshua 4, after the nation of Israel crosses the Jordan River, God instructed them to build an altar with 12 stones, one from each of the 12 tribes. And this was a really significant time for them. It marked essentially the end of the exodus from Egypt and their entry into the land that God promised them. And so Joshua told them why the altar was there with these words. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before their eyes, and he kept it dry until they were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. What altar do we have as followers of God? I don't have a stack of stones in my backyard and I, to, to honor God and... Um, but our, our altar is really not a pile of stones, but it's an act of sacrifice by God's only Son on the cross. Jesus said in Luke 22, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is our worship and remembrance of what God has done for us, uh, in part in communion, 
it can be a time for us to tell our children why we do that. But not only that, I found this definition from a sermon, from a sermon by a Reverend G. Campbell Morgan in the early 1900s, where he said, New Testament altar building may be described as an act of worship from deep within the heart in which we gratefully and willingly sacrifice all personal desires and self-interests in order to approach God. Altar building is expressed from within the new covenant Christian life. It acknowledges the absolute sovereignty and impeccable holiness of God. Jesus is a far better altar, for sure, than a pile of stones. You know, unlike stones, which can be knocked down, Jesus is always there. And our reverence for him is never-ending. Okay, so moving on with the remainder of chapter 35. In verse 19, Rachel dies in childbirth. Um, God doesn't spare his people from the pains of life. You know, this is one of life's most painful moments in losing a spouse. And it, we can easily read verses like this and keep on going. But this is so painful. It probably stuck with Jacob for a long time. Um, and you think the uh, many things that happened to him, this was, this was very big. Verse 22, we learn about Reuben's sin. We talked about this last week and how because of his sin, he did not receive the blessing of the firstborn. The 12 sons of Jacob or the 12 tribes of Israel we read about. <clears throat> this mentions the sons and the four mothers. And the end of the chapter tells us that Isaac dies at 180 years. It's interesting that he thought he was dying 20 years prior when he gave his blessing to Jacob. He was blind by then, so he lived many years in blindness after that. So this brings Jacob and Esau together, together for uh, the burial of their father. So back to something I mentioned earlier. Did you think of a time in your life where you visited a place that you'd been long ago and you may remember the exact place you stood? Maybe you carved your name on a tree or did something that you could see later, like maybe you stacked some stones. And you may reminisce on all that's happened to your life since then. In 1976, while living in Montana, we visited my sister uh, here in Oregon. Uh, she lived in Newport. We visited her for Thanksgiving. And she lived in some condos that overlooked the marina. And while there, I took this really nice picture at sunset of the Aquina Bay Bridge. The sky was orange and it was beautiful. I actually won first place in a photo contest. But a few years ago, while in Newport, I drove by there. I couldn't remember the exact location but it took me back in time, and I realized how long ago that was. It was before I was married, before I had any children. I didn't live in Oregon at that time, but I just saw that how my life had been shaped. And these it's times like this when we can look and see, praise God for what he's done through our life. So back to verse 1 um, of 35. Then God said to Jacob, get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. You really get the idea from verse 1 in Jacob's response that this was a look back for them. It was a look back on the last 20 years to see what God had done. He was going to the same place where he had been before. Psalm chapter 50 verse 14 says, Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows you made to the Most High. So God treasures our reflection and our thankfulness. You can see this in Luke 17 where Jesus heals the ten lepers and after they're healed, only one returns, falling at Jesus' feet and thanking him. And to him, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. So the concept is God wants us to take time to reflect on what he's done. 
it's an important element of our faith where we acknowledge God's long-term companionship and it's valid whether you're recognizing what he did five minutes ago or what he's done over a lifetime. Back to Jacob's first visit to Bethel, it was shortly after he left Canaan on his way to Pandanaram. And I'm going to read that passage there. We've read a portion of it already, but I'll, I'll reread it. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled towards Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you, and I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north and south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have finished giving everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it, he named the place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide for me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So Genesis 35 is a fulfillment of what God or what was promised by God 20 years or more before that time. And Jacob would be protected, and one day God would bring him back to this land. I, I found the vision interesting where Jacob sees the stairway to heaven. Um, in John chapter 1, Jesus uses a similar reference that he is the stairway. It reads, Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will see all heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. So some say that Genesis 28 is a glimpse of God's kingdom with Jesus being the bridge between heaven and earth. Or actually, the stairway that Jacob saw was it was a bridge between earth and God himself. So, um, in closing, there's a lot here. There's a lot more uh, elements of this we could dive into. Uh, and I just encourage you, if you want additional study, please read through Genesis chapters 30 or chapters 28 through 34. And I just want to thank you for listening. Check back to the podcast next week. There will be a study from Genesis 27.